before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to October. We've got football in full swing, the start of basketball and hockey season, and of course, baseball playoffs. <laughs> oh, it's wild card weekend. Let's go Padres. Bet Online has you covered for all of the action this October. You can sign up with our promo code BLEAVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, and get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, everybody, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of Wired Up. This is Wired Up episode 125 here on the Take It Easy podcast. That is, uh, if we're counting by weeks, over three years of Wired Ups here on the show. Welcome, 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 everybody. We are live on the Believe Podcast Network, except this isn't live because of it's a podcast, except this time it is live because we are on YouTube Welcome, 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 everyone. We are actually live for the first time here, or first time in a while here on the Believe Podcast Network. We are going to sit down and watch a bit of this uh, Padres and Mets playoff game here on the podcast. We also get bonus content because as we started recording this, the Seattle Mariners just made a seven-run comeback against the Toronto Blue Jays to make it 9-9 to in the other wildcard series. I thought this was going to be Mets and Padres dominant, but we're going to get some Mariners and Blue Jays coming up here. If you're listening to this in podcast form, you probably already know how this game ended. If you're listening to this on YouTube form, watch along with us. Pull up the game, pull up the broadcasts. Bootleg streaming sites are fine because we're going to be on a little bit of a delay. Welcome in, everybody. Hope y'all are having a fantabulous Saturday or Sunday or Monday or however and whenever it is that you may be listening. So just to kind of introduce this idea to people and uh, live streams and such, because it's not like an impossible concept to figure out. It's doing a YouTube live stream and doing watch parties. But for years, I've had this belief that you could evolve and adapt the sports viewing and the sports broadcast experience by doing talk shows that have live broadcasting rights. And the Manning cast does some of this where it's like Peyton and Eli talking. I don't watch the Manning cast because personally, I don't find the Mannings particularly interesting. They're just famous people talking to other famous people. And I've learned over the years that that's not my role combined with just the Mannings in general are not really my role part because I used to hate Peyton Manning and part just because they they represent uh, an old timey football film and the first family of football that I don't necessarily roll with Uh, this idea of like a southern monarchy around the Mannings we've done podcasts on this before about just general dislike for the Manning cast but the Manning cast is doing something that I believe would be a great idea which is talk show that also happens to have broadcasting rights. And since this is a podcast, we can do that as Francisco Lindor just launches a home run 
to make it one nothing Mets. And at the same time, as Alejandro Kirk grounds out to kill a mini rally for Toronto, they were within 90 feet of tying the game, and Francisco Lindor just hit a bomb for the Mets. So it's now one to nothing in the first inning, and New York fans are hyped the same way that Padres fans were hyped yesterday when Josh Bell hit a home run in the first inning. So yeah, like little things like that. Just all of a sudden a home run gets hit right in the middle of me explaining that I love the idea of live sports broadcasts that also happen to be a talk show. And and the talk show is the most important thing. Um, I came up with, I mean, I didn't come up with this idea. I recognize this idea when the Dan Lebitard show did a watch along for the Georgia and Alabama national championship game the year that it was uh, Tua and it was... Um, Jalen Hurts and the substitution there and the game-winning touchdown on the last play. And I enjoyed that show and I enjoyed that broadcast even without getting to watch uh, much of the national championship or the fact that during that broadcast they didn't realize until two drives into the third quarter that Tua wasn't even playing or the, I'm sorry, that Jalen Hurts wasn't even playing anymore, and that Tua, who no one really knew Tua at the time, he'd go on to be, like, should have been Heisman Trophy the next season, uh, but Kyler Murray got it instead of him. Like, Tua checked into the game at the start of the half, and it took them two Alabama drives to realize Jalen Hurts wasn't playing quarterback anymore, because, of course, if you're not watching a game particularly close, you don't recognize that Jalen Hurts has been benched in a national championship game in an unprecedented situation. So anyways, that was the inspiration years ago for my belief that a watch party situation, uh, a, a talk show with live sports broadcasts would be a great idea. And I've tried experimenting with this a bunch during those pandemic years, uh, the 2021 NBA playoffs, we did way too many YouTube live streams. Just I had so much time and did way too many YouTube live streams, whether it was uh, the Spurs and Grizzlies play in game or the Bucks championship against the Suns or uh, that series where the Hawks advanced over the 76ers and the 76ers choked a one in 800 odds of winning Um, so basically just take a talk show format and then turn it into a live broadcast so we can watch Francisco Lindor hit tanks off the Padres and we can watch the ninth inning of this Seattle Toronto game and I'm sure we'll talk about the Rays in Cleveland and we'll talk about college football because it's a talk show with a live sports broadcast if you're a Padres fan welcome in hope you enjoy this with us because this is just specifically because it's my team and uh I've, I mean, if you're a born and raised San Diegan, it's been 16 years since the Padres made the playoffs. They made it in 2020, and that was fantastic. So we, this is technically our second rodeo, but it was a it was a 14 year drought, and I'm only 21, so it's my entire memorable lifetime. The Padres haven't made the playoffs. My earliest memory was Matt Holiday not touching home. My, my earliest baseball memory was 2007 when Matt Holiday didn't touch home, and and the Padres ended up missing the playoffs. So, yeah, we're going to watch Mets Padres. We're going to watch Seattle Toronto, by the way. Um, George Springer's gone from this game now in the Toronto one. For those who didn't see, so it was it was eight to one Toronto over Seattle. And then Seattle hit a grand slam in the sixth. And then they got it to, I believe at one point it was six to eight, then it was six to nine, nice. And then Seattle got the bases loaded with two outs in the eighth inning. And I can't remember who it was, but just hit a little like blooper to center field and 
Bo Bichette and George Springer both just go storming out into the outfield, just trying desperately to make a play. Uh, it might have been Abraham Toro who was batting, but basically um, they both go for the play. They run into each other, three-run score because the ball dropped literally in the only spot in the entire outfield that a pop-up like that would have dropped for a base hit, and it scored three runs, and now it's 9-9. Nine to nine. And they had to get the card out for Springer um, just because the alternative was like crutches and such. And it was like a really hard collision that, you know, could happen more times than not in baseball. But it, I mean, people kind of pull up in some of these cases. And especially if it's a lower stakes situation, there's more of a communication. But just those injuries happen a lot in baseball and they're usually like pretty serious. So, like, I'm sure, I mean, we just saw Springer go out of the game, but I'm sure that's going to be a storyline coming up after this game. And, you know, the Mets might get, or I'm sorry, the, the Blue Jays might get eliminated right now, but it'll it'll be a storyline afterwards, I'm sure, is the George Springer being praised for putting his body on the line and trying to win for Toronto as Cal Raleigh just ropes a double. Yay, I got Castellanos. That was ultimately what I was trying to do there. I got Castellanos. Uh, George Springer putting his body on the line with a horrific injury as Cal Raleigh bangs a double into the, the right center field gap. The big dumper gets a double for the Seattle Mariners. Man, playoff baseball is wild, and I I talked about this on Friday. Like when you add the stakes and storylines to these things, man, base playoff baseball is so much fun, and so much dumb shit happens once baseball becomes like you have to win this one game. Because like you get twelve to eleven games all over the place. You get, I mean, like what happened with the Rays and Cleveland game, where it's like zero zero into the fifteenth inning, and I know that can happen in any baseball game, but like ratchet up the stakes. You change the strategy. It's like watching a totally different game from the regular season. I like regular season baseball. It's just there's no um, there's no storyline. I'm sorry, there's no stakes to regular season baseball games. So, you know, I just kind of like will watch it for entertainment value. But as I've gotten older, I've realized there's different kinds of entertainment value. And uh, I, I just enjoy the, the changing format of playoff baseball. Okay, Mitch Hanniger just flew out. And Padres have two more batters on it's still the first thing oh there we go Adam Frazier just hit one down the line oh my god the Mariners are gonna win oh my god the Mariners are gonna win they just came back from eight runs down in the sixth inning the Mariners are gonna oh my god man that's that's some team of destiny shit if I've ever seen oh they play the Astros next too oh my gosh man that's gonna be so cool Oh my god, that's a team of destiny moment right there. Eight run comeback doing it after the sixth inning. I guess it's technically seven, but like Jesus, that's crazy. The merit see, this is how I felt in twenty twenty when the Padres went down a bunch of runs and came back against the Cardinals. That's so cool for Seattle. Oh my god. They just wow. They just came back from eight runs down. It's not over either. It's the top of the ninth. We'll we'll get to the end of this at some point. But man, that is so freaking cool for Seattle. Oh man, eight run comeback. I thought this was gonna be the boring game. Like I thought we were gonna fill time on this broadcast by talking about the 
the Cleveland game or talking about the um, what happened in college football, which was they picked they purposely picked this to be a shitty college football weekend. Uh, with like TCU Kansas being the game of the week, just because all these ESPN broadcasts were going to take over. But like, damn, Seattle just came back. Like the Padres feel a little anticlimactic now. And like, yeah, the Padres game, whatever. You know, yesterday wasn't that exciting either. But the whole point of this was me getting excited about the Padres playoff game, and now the chaos of the Mariners is like even cooler than the chaos of a 15 inning game two to end the season for the Tampa Bay Rays. I thought I was going to do 10 minutes on the Tampa Bay Rays here and maybe we end up we'll end up doing that but like man that's super cool Seattle just took the lead. And so for Seattle this is such an interesting story because Obviously, they're going to play the Astros next, and that's going to be interesting. Again, it's not over yet. Toronto could win this game, and this whole thing will end up being uh, just kind of a, a delayed possible celebration of the Mariners. But like, I'm thinking about that. You've got the cool walk-off moment to break the playoff drought. You won yesterday. This game, you've come back from 8-1 down. Like At this point, you feel like you're playing with house money, and it's playoff baseball. Like Dumb shit happens all the time. I'm not saying like it's over, but... like. If you're picking one of those series that you feel really good about the outcome, like Astros against the Mariners is one of those that you feel like, yeah, the the Astros got this. The Astros got this. And I'm just so fascinated by the losers of sports. Again, I was going to talk about Kansas, and, and obviously this is a Padres-centric podcast. If you listen to Friday's episode of the show, I just soapboxed about the Padres for 30 minutes like I tend to do at least like twice a year. At least twice a year you can get my uh, my Padres soapbox. But, I, I mean, like for the loser team like that, at this point you're playing with house money. You're, you've made it to this point. This is probably the most fun it's going to feel. Like maybe the Mariners turn this into like five years of they're able to catch the Astros slipping and they end up being like great. The more likely scenario is that this is a flash in the pan moment and this is the best Mariner team just because it's so hard. I mean, I talked about um, Tampa Bay a second ago and, and this also connects to the Padres. But if we're thinking about Tampa Bay uh, and our friend... Uh, down in Orlando, he he runs the Rays coverage account. I haven't talked to him in a while. I should I should check in with him. But um, you you may remember if you've been listening to the show all the way back to 2020, like our our friend who runs the Rays coverage account, he was talking about during that 2020 World Series run how Tampa Bay. Oh, I ran into him at the All-Star game a couple years ago too. Man, that's great memory. Um, but he he I was talking about how he thought that 2021 was Tampa's year. Like the whole point of the rebuild, the whole point of building that team back up. And if, if for those who don't know about what Tampa Bay is in baseball, like Tampa Bay is the modern version of Moneyball, uh the Dodgers, Astros, Boston Red Sox, the twins so basically you could count toronto in this group because of who their manager used to be like basically eight of the top 12 teams in baseball 
are ran by someone who used to work in the in the Tampa Bay Rays organization. And the Tampa Bay Rays are one of the cheap organizations. Like they are always bottom 10 in payroll and they always find a way to make a World Series in 2008. Um, they made an ALCS run in the 2010s. They made the World Series in 2020. Despite the fact they never spend money and they're just smarter than everyone else and everyone hires their people. And Tampa Bay innovates and thinks differently about the sport and their their corporate culture is not just like encouraging that behavior it is fostering it and, and finding new advantages within the margins and that 2020 tampa team which was number one seed in the american league with that small payroll that they had even as the number one seed and making it to the world series um, our, our buddy who runs race coverage was telling me 2021 was supposed to be their year. And in 2021, they got the number one seed again for the second year in a row. They were the number one seed in the American League. And Tampa Bay this year was perennial wildcard team. The Yankees had that division locked up the whole way. Uh, Toronto was looking stronger than them. They ended up finishing with the sixth seed. And the joke I had for months is that like, Cleveland was going to win the shitty AL Central and then Cleveland was going to the the Cleveland Guardians were going to lose to whoever the sixth wildcard team was either Toronto or Tampa and Cleveland beat them in two games in the wildcard and were clearly better than Tampa because Tampa had one run in two games and it was on a Jose Siri home run like their one through eight hitters did not have a single RBI in the entire series. And I was just thinking about that from the Tampa perspective and thinking about that with Seattle. Tampa, Seattle, and San Diego feel like they're in similar places in this wildcard run for different reasons, like Seattle because of the playoff drought, San Diego because of their loser mentality and just being a loser for my entire memorable lifetime to now spending ridiculous amounts of money, delivering the awesome Juan Soto moment, like all that stuff. And then obviously for Tampa being the the Moneyball team, which Moneyball is just code word for they use analytics and innovative thinking to work different, to find competitive advantages within the margins that other teams aren't finding. And Tampa was like two years and it it's done for Tampa. And I know they have Wander Franco and I know they have these great pitchers and I know they're able to rotate every year and have this top farm system. But like the, the the margins in baseball are so thin when you're not the Dodgers, Astros, Yankees, because those teams have infinite resources and they have um, competitive advantages over their competition. And we can throw the Braves in this mix, too. Also, like Braves have giant payrolls and they're really smart. And, you know, it's hard to compete when they can lose Freddie Freeman to the Dodgers. Like the Dodgers can just lose Corey Seager replace him with Freddie Freeman and then the Braves who lose Freddie Freeman trade for Matt Olson and now they have a first baseman for seven more years putting up not the same production as Freddie Freeman but comparable production for Freddie Freeman for slightly less money and for everyone else you're trying to just find your slot within this game when you know the Dodgers have made the playoffs 10 consecutive years and won the NL West nine times uh, when the Astros have won six consecutive division titles and they're the modern day version of the 1990s Yankees 
and the Braves are winning that division every single year. The Phillies have spent a shit ton of money, but because they don't have smart people running the team, they they can only get so good. The Padres can only get so good uh, because at a certain point, resources do end up mattering, and the way you spend those resources makes a difference. Like, the Dodgers pivot so seamlessly because they have Andrew Friedman, who's the best executive in baseball, who they pay to be the best executive in baseball, and they have infinite resources because um, in baseball there's no salary cap and regional television contracts dictate the amount you spend. And so because of this, teams that play wildcard weekend can have these huge successes and kind of slot in wherever they slot in. And the Mariners are in this group because... Two years ago, if you would have said Tampa Bay is on the precipice of kind of what happened with Chicago, where Chicago goes to the World Series in 2016, and Chicago had an NLCS run in 2015, so it's not like they came out of nowhere, but like Chicago kind of had a flash-in-the-pan moment, and then it was lost in the NLCS, lost in the wild card, lost in the wild card or missed the playoffs in 2019 lost in the wild card and then it's over now they're just tearing everything down like it's so hard to find your place when you're not one of the four teams that's all when there's 12 playoff spots and there used to be 10 when there's 12 playoff spots and four of them are guaranteed every year to be the same teams it's really interesting to think about how everyone else slides in and seattle This could be the best version of Seattle's team. This could be the best version of the Padres team. I know uh, we talked to Bob Nightingale a little while ago, and Bob Nightingale said, like, the Padres are kind of, like, gearing up for 2023 to be their year, and that's what some of those moves at the deadline looked like. Um, But I'm looking at what the Padres are doing, and I'm watching what the Mariners are doing and what Tampa is doing. And Tampa is different because they have this, you know, super deep farm system, and they're constantly innovating and all that stuff. Like, Tampa is going to be good. It's just... Near, it's so difficult for them to beat the Yankees and Toronto and uh, Boston. Boston has, um, you know, Boston this year was not good, but like Boston beat Tampa in the playoffs last year. Like it's so hard to compete when you know that Houston, Boston, and New York are constantly going to be spending more resources than you and are going to be able to find competitive advantages against you that you will not have, like just signing Trevor Story or like we talked about, like losing Freddie Freeman and trading for Matt Olson like the Braves did or Toronto just giving $20 million a year to George Springer in the first podcast after they made that signing, I said this doesn't change the win or loss record of Toronto. They're still going to be the same team. Like, Tampa doesn't have those competitive advantages, and so, and neither does Seattle, and Seattle has done a lot to go all in. They're basically just a team of ex-Cincinnati Reds and ex-San Diego Padres, and that's been good enough to get them to the playoffs, and they almost made it last year, but these windows are just so small in baseball, and I don't know why that's the case when on the flip side, Houston, New York, and the Dodgers, and the Braves, and every other year the Red Sox um, they operate on different margins it feels like they don't operate on the same booms and bust cycles as these other teams and again maybe Seattle will be this great exception maybe Tampa will be this great exception but it just feels like this is the window of opportunity for Seattle and as they get ready to 
you know, advance in the playoffs for the first time in like 25 years. Uh, I just think about how interesting that is uh, with the boomer bus cycles because it reminds me of where I was with the Padres two years ago. And um, for those who don't remember, Fernando Tatis in game two of a three game wild card, because remember, this was the pandemic year, they had three game wild cards. Uh, the Padres were down five runs. Tatis hit two homers in back-to-back innings. Will Myers hit a two-run homer. Machado hit a homer. And the second Tatis homer is that famous bat flip that ended up being on the cover of the show and made Padres signs the next year that was like America's most exciting baseball team. They actually had signs and sold those at the team shop. Um, And I was interested by this because Seattle's in that stage right now. Seattle's in that stage I was two years ago with the Padres and where Tampa was two years ago when they won the division and went on that World Series run, which I'm pretty sure was their first. No, they made the wild card in 2019. So like wild card team 2019, number one seed, number one seed. And then this year, wild card team that loses feels like Tampa's uh, beginning to be on the decline. And that window is so small. And for Seattle, this Again, this is what I said about Cincinnati Bengals last year. Like, the Bengals will probably never get back to where they were. If they had lost to the Chiefs in the AFC Championship, they would have never gotten back to that point again. The Titans going to the AFC Championship in 2019, they're probably never going to get back to that point because they don't have Patrick Mahomes, because they don't have Josh Allen, and because they don't have Lamar Jackson. And that same kind of thing happens in baseball for different reasons. Like, no one individual player makes that kind of difference in baseball. But Seattle and Tampa don't have the same resources to fuck up and then go and just find Matt Olson or fuck up and just go find Trevor Story. So, like, they don't have that same competitive advantage that Houston, the Dodgers, the Dodgers can just, like, sign Trevor Bauer and his part of his contract gets void and they still end up with $25 million in dead money because Trevor Bauer is a sexual predator and they just, it doesn't matter. Like, it's just, you know, $25 million would be the most money the Mariners have ever spent on a player. I think that ties the Robinson Cano contract. So, like, they, the Dodgers can just write that off and that in and of itself is a competitive advantage. And so if you can't have competitive advantages with resources, you have to find value within even slimmer margins and for seattle and tampa and san diego and i know san diego spends a fuck ton of money but like san diego every year up until this year like the competitive margins are so thin even for san diego and the mets who spend a ton of money like they don't spend it in efficient ways and they don't have a young core to kind of buoy that up i mean the padres have tatis and juan soto is going to go through arbitration but like you don't have that young core to to make everything a little bit softer. And so I'm just interested in that from the perspective of Seattle enjoy this right now. The Padres two years ago, I was like, okay, this is the step up. 2021 is our year. 2022 is our year. And after everything fell apart last year, and as I've gotten older and have better perspective about sports, I basically said with the Padres, you know what? Just get me to the playoffs. Just give me these three games, and I'm cool. And if you're the Mariners, just give me these two games. Hopefully we do something better, but adjusting the expectations will make it more enjoyable. And so I will say to the Mariners what I say to the Padres and what I said to the Bengals last year, y'all are playing with house money. 
And, you know, I, I, I hate to do the one game sample size, you know, waxing poetically about sports stuff because I'll leave that to other people who want that. But, I mean, if you're playing with house money, playing with house money looks like being down 8-1 to one <laughs> against Toronto and coming back with a grand slam and a three-run double and, like, just having this epic comeback that, again, we're watching this right now. Danny Jansen could hit a home run and wipe all of that out, but... Seattle, y'all are playing with some house money right now. And it might be the best this team gets. This might, like, the NLDS might be the furthest this team gets. Arizona had Paul Goldschmidt for, like, seven years, and the furthest they could get was, like, losing in three games to the Dodgers in the DS. Like, maybe this is as far as Seattle gets. I thought Seattle might fuck up and miss the playoffs at one point in the season. Like, Maybe this is the best Seattle does. Maybe they beat Houston. I don't know. Baseball's fucking stupid. But at the same time, just you're playing with house money, man. Don't put the pressure on. Just enjoy it. I'm doing this with the Padres right now. The Padres have a chance to advance in the playoffs to play the Dodgers in the DS. This happened two years ago, and I was a fucking wreck during those games. I got noise complaints in my apartment because I was just a wreck when the Padres were going up against the Cardinals and that comeback and thinking that was the greatest moment of my life when I didn't have the perspective about sports. And enjoy it. You're playing with house money. It's uh, it's so awesome to even be here. The Mariners might not have even been here if the baseball format had changed. And this would have been even more true a couple years ago when there was only one game winner go home wild cards like your entire season exists for one game and it's a coin flip because all baseball games are essential like coin flips plus or minus seven percent like the best teams in the playoffs have a 57 percent chance of winning and the worst teams have a 43 percent chance of winning because these playoff games are like just absolutely random chaos where in one game there's no runs for 15 innings and in the Mariners Blue Jays game it's 8 to 1 Toronto and two innings later it's 9 to 9 and then two more innings later the Mariners take the lead and now the Mariners are within one out of moving on to the ALDS where I feel pretty confident they'll lose to the Astros but it's baseball. I said the Braves were going to lose to the Brewers last year, and the Braves went on to win the World Series. Baseball's dumb as shit. Maybe the Mariners beat the Astros. The point I'm trying to put at is adjust the expectations. Enjoy this. The Padres are losing one nothing to the Mets right now, and I'm just like, just happy to be here, man. Just happy to be here. Even if you're a team like the Astros or the Dodgers who's there every year and you want to win the World Series, just be happy to be there. Like just I'm I'm yelling for perspective here because like thinking about it with T- Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay was the number 1 seed in the American League 2 years ago and now Tampa Bay is not that. The window closed so quickly and if Tampa was so dead set on needing to win the World Series, well then it's going to make this year less enjoyable for Tampa. But Tampa was a fun team last year and if if Wander Franco ends up staying healthy for the whole season maybe it looks a little different for Tampa if their one through eight hitters get a single RBI maybe they're still playing baseball it's just really cool and really fun to watch that happen and play with house money man as Seattle's about to Seattle is one strike away from beating Toronto it's Rymel Tapia up to the plate playing with house money This is really freaking cool. 
And I'm super excited for you, Seattle. Fly ball center field. And the Mariners have come back from 8-1 down. And they have advanced in the playoffs for the first time in 25 years. How freaking cool is that? House money, baby. Celebrate like you just won the championship. Y'all are losers. Y'all are losers. It's been 25 years since you knocked someone out of the playoffs. Celebrate. Throw shit. Who cares? That's so cool. Be a loser. Do your dances. Have parades in downtown. Embrace being losers, Seattle. Embrace being losers. I know the Padres are going to do that if they get to play at home. Embrace being losers, baby. It's a great feeling to have. This is why I love when teams celebrate after advancing in playoff series because baseball culture is different than other sports. Where in the NBA, when Patrick Beverly throws his jersey and cries after, again, that's the coolest story. Patrick Beverly, the team who dumped him, the team who got rid of him, the insane guy throws his jersey and cries after getting the game-winning steal for Minnesota to advance in a playoff round, like to eliminate a team for the first time in 18 years, and Seattle gets to eliminate a team for the first time in 22 years. Yeah, that's pretty freaking cool. It might never get this good. Still enjoy it. Might never be this good again with this current Seattle team. Might be a decade before this happens again. Enjoy it. And if it does happen again, celebrate like it won't happen for another decade. Because otherwise, like, this is sports. It's stupid. It's fun. It's regional pride. It's rah-rah. It's all that stuff that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things but matters a lot to a lot of people. And that's why sports are super cool and why I've dedicated a good portion of my life to working in sports. Do the rah-rah. Do the celebration. I hope they're, they're throwing parades in Seattle right now. I hope they're, I hope they're like, doing, um, like... Uh, not necessarily parades, but they're just like everyone's gathering in downtown like it's a championship moment. Again, Seattle hasn't eliminated someone in 25 years. Adjust your expectations. Be silly. Be stupid. Be a loser. It's fantastic. Super cool, super, super cool moment for Seattle. And they hijacked the Padres and the Mets. Uh, they, they hijacked the play-in. Uh, they hijacked my wild card watch party, but... That's a pretty cool story to come back from 8-1 down and win that series. Episode 4. The Holy Dodger Empire continues their reign over the West. In previous years, the Holy Dodger Empire dismantled the once great Royal Cardinals, establishing a new power within the galaxy. The Holy Dodger Empire defeated the Royal Cardinals, invaded the Mill of Waukee, and vanquished the 107-win Giants. In the meantime, the Holy Dodger Empire pillaged both the Purple Rockies and the Backs of Diamond in Arizona. These invasions increased the Empire's wealth tenfold. Their resources are unmatched, their power is unquestioned. With the West and the Central firmly in control, the Holy Dodger Empire sets their sights on a new conquest, the Eastern Empire State. If the Holy Dodger Empire defeats Master Cohen and his Met army of queens, there will be nothing left to stop them from conquering the galaxy. To the south, 
A small resistance forms in San Diego. While outnumbered and outresourced, the resistance fights for their very existence against the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. It's a changing time in the galaxy. The once great Imperial Nationals of Washington have fallen. Years earlier, the Imperial Nationals once defeated the Holy Dodger Empire at the Battle of Strasbourg. Now, they find themselves bankrupt and selling pieces to the highest bidder. In this collapse, the Holy Dodger Empire captured a great captain known as Mad Max, who helped strengthen the Holy Dodger Empire's hold on the galaxy. However, Mad Max has escaped and defected to Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. He will spend whatever years he has left fighting to dismantle the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. And now, the legendary Imperial Captain Juan Soto has joined the Resistance after paying his debt to Kara the Hutt. To San Diego, Captain Juan Soto brings with him the Imperial Nationals' mighty Josh Bell. Joining Captain Soto is Lord Hader, the supreme closer of the Mill of Waukee, called to fight by the message of the Resistance and the possibility of bringing balance to the Force. The Resistance has paid a heavy price, yet they have never been closer to defeating the Holy Dodger Empire. So here's one of the things that happens with doing a watch party, especially when it's like a baseball watch party, which is I'm spending time here checking Twitter, making some content, texting my friends, texting my brother. And so we take periodic breaks. And in between this break, Trent Grisham just hit a tank for the Padres. And I wasn't near the microphone to start recording, so you wouldn't have gotten the live reaction. I was hoping to get a live reaction like when I hit when Lindor hit the homer. But I spent those 15 minutes talking about the Mariners and Tampa and the Padres and filling content, and there was no action. And then as soon as I take a break, Trent Grisham pops a homer off Jacob deGrom, which is crazy because Trent Grisham, for people who don't know, had a below... 400 slugging percent I'm sorry a below 600 OPS and a below 300 slugging percentage this year and Trent Grisham who is a below average offensive player and the eight hitter for the Padres he's in the game because he's awesome defensively he's a gold glove center fielder Trent Grisham has now hit home runs off Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom in back-to-back games of the playoffs because the Major League Baseball playoffs do dumb shit like that all the time. And now Juan Soto just hit a double, and the Padres have third and second with two outs, and Manny Machado's up to bat, and they really need the runs right here because they're getting hits off to Grom, and it's one-to-one, and I just got a feeling that the Mets are going to score coming up here. I'm just like, come on, Manny Machado... 2-1 count, need something here, and this is part of being in a watch party, is is watching Manny Machado swing and miss and trying to fill content around the talk show, but then I'll just go, oh shit, when something happens, but that was a false alarm. There's nothing, oh shit, happening right now, and the stuff that has happened, I missed it. Also, by the way, I thought that went out of play on the, the terrible throw that should have scored a run in the first place, but... I'm guessing it didn't, because otherwise there would have been more of an outrage by the Padres. 2-2. Manny Machado. 
Runners on third and second, two outs. What is he going to do off of Jacob deGrom? This is what people claim they want when they watch playoff baseball. Manny is going to strike out. Shit. People claim they want Manny Machado versus Jacob deGrom, runners on second and third, and that's the thing that's going to save baseball is having the best hitter and the best pitcher in baseball. Who the hell is Jacob deGrom? Best hitter, best pitcher in baseball with two runners in scoring position and a tie game and a winner-go-home playoff game, and then Manny Machado strikes out. But what people really want is Trent Grisham hitting tanks off of Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom because that's just baseball, man. One single event is not going to change your perspective of baseball. We just got it with Manny Machado. We just got Manny Machado against Jacob deGrom, two-on-two out, tie game, winner go home. We just got it. Manny Machado didn't touch the ball this entire at-bat. Certain point, baseball is baseball. Uh, Anyways, so yeah, Phillies and Cardinals is also going on right now. Uh, Shout out to Jacob deGrom. Shout out to the worst take that I have ever had, which is rivaled by in 2020, August 2020, me saying that Carson Wentz was going to be Josh Allen and Josh Allen was going to be Carson Wentz. Like Carson Wentz was an elite quarterback and Josh Allen was going to be benched and replaced by Buffalo, which people were saying the second one. Maybe less people were pro Carson Wentz as I am. I just got that one wrong, just needed to flip the two giant white linebacker-looking quarterbacks around, and I would have been exactly correct saying that Josh Allen would be replaced by the Bills and Carson Wentz would be basically what the Eagles are now. Or basically, Carson Wentz on the Eagles would be what Josh Allen on the Bills is now. That's what I used to think. I was incorrect. It's one of the worst takes I've ever had, but it's a laughable one. Almost as bad as me when I was uh, 14 years old. Uh, the Padres had this uh, rookie pitcher named Jesse Hahn. And Jesse Hahn was uh, having a pretty good first two months of the season. I think Jesse Hahn, like, a couple years ago was on the Royals. I don't know if he's still in baseball now. But there was talks about him for Rookie of the Year. And because this was the Padres and they're terrible every year and they had no chance of making the playoffs, we rallied behind Jesse Hahn being Rookie of the Year in June. And I uttered the words, Jesse Hahn should be Rookie of the Year. Who the hell is Jacob deGrom? Jacob deGrom only went on to be the greatest pitcher that has ever lived in my memorable lifetime. Who the hell is Jacob deGrom? Worst take I've ever had. Jesse Hahn should win Rookie of the Year. Who the hell is Jacob deGrom? And me and my brother still laugh at that. Who the hell is Jacob deGrom? It's it's something that shouldn't matter at all. I was 14, he was 12. We were just learning baseball and crazy obsessed Padres fans with Everett Cabrera and Alexi Amarista and Will Venable and Kristen Orfia and Kevin Kuzminoff and Nick Hunley and Ryan Ludwig and Jason Marquis and so many old Padres that I shouldn't be able to name off the top of my head like that. Who the hell is Jacob deGrom? It's a bonding experience for the both of us. Now uh, seven to eight years later, eight years later, wow, that's... Eight and a half years since who the hell is Jacob deGrom, and he's already gone on to be the greatest pitcher (laughs) that has ever lived. But the joke's on him if the Padres can eliminate the Mets with who the hell is Jacob deGrom trying to pitch a winner-go-home game.
Got to give a shout out to the Cleveland Guardians because I underestimated you from start to finish. Uh, when Jose Ramirez signed a contract extension, it was like two weeks before the season started. And I said that um, he was going to make a bunch of money on a team that was kind of tanking. And they weren't like tanking like they were going to get a top pick. But like if you had told me they were going to trade Jose Ramirez and just tear it all to the ground at the end of last season, totally would have believed you. Like Shane Bieber might have been around for a little bit, but he would have been a trade candidate at the deadline. I thought they were going to finish fourth in that division the AL Central that I still believe they should disband the division and move one team from each one team to each of the other five divisions in baseball so that they can all finish fourth place in their respective new divisions. I thought Cleveland was going to finish fourth place. Then they were in first place in June, and I said that the White Sox would catch them. Then I said the Twins would catch them. Then I said whoever wins the AL Central is just going to lose to whoever the sixth seed in the American League playoffs is, whether Tampa or Toronto. And Cleveland pretty much dominated Tampa. And their two pitchers, like I know everyone's talking about the Scherzer-DeGrom duo, and Scherzer and DeGrom have both given up home runs to Trent Grisham within the last 24 to 26 hours. And Cleveland was really good. And I know they're going to play the Yankees next, and the Yankees are going to be heavy favorites. But again, it's baseball. Dumb shit happens all the time. And they've got Bieber and McKenzie, who Bieber and McKenzie gave up one home run in 13 innings, one solo home run, and that's it between the two of them and Beavers won a Cy Young before McKenzie's really good and Cleveland was underestimated from start to finish and so I eat my crow and say damn that was fun that was the most fun 0-0 baseball game I have ever watched I feel safe saying that because I can't remember another 0-0 baseball game played as such that goes 15 innings long and there's so many opportunities for runs to get scored and it just never happens. And then a dude who has the SpongeBob SquarePants theme song as his walk-up song hits a walk-off dinger and the guy who's supposed to dunk him at home plate with the Gatorade cooler drops the cooler. I mean, it was so cool. It was so cool. So congratulations, Cleveland. I would also like to point out this is the first time since 2016 that an American League Central team has advanced in the playoffs i was playing the odds on the american league central they will probably still not make the league championship series 2016 all five teams in the division six six years not a single one has advanced and you know how many playoff series losses that is? That's one for Cleveland in 2017 when they were the number one seed. One for Cleveland in 2018. One for Minnesota in 2019 against the Yankees. Two, no, I'm sorry, three in 2020, the, the wild card season where they had the expanded playoffs because the White Sox lost in the wild card round. The Twins lost in the wild card round, and Cleveland lost in the wild card round. So that's one in 2017, one in 2018, one in 2019, three in 2020, one in 2021 with the White Sox. That's 0 for 7. 0 for 7, the American League Central was in the last 
six years in the playoffs, and this year they finally got the victory. So congratulations to the Cleveland Guardians. Because I, my AL Central hatred and my AL Central pain for that division and, and disdain the same way I have disdain for the AFC South, so much so that my fantasy football name is AFC South is a pyramid scheme. The same disdain I have for the American League Central got in the way of me enjoying a pretty cool story by Cleveland. And then Cleveland won yesterday, and Cleveland had a 15-inning thriller today, and it's super cool. And hopefully you don't lose to the Yankees in the wild card round, although I've said since April that we're headed for Astros and Yankees in the ALCS. Maybe dumb shit will happen because it's baseball. Pretty sure we're headed towards Astros-Yankees, but Cleveland advanced for the first time in six years for any of the American League Central teams. Episode 4. The Holy Dodger Empire continues their reign over the West. In previous years, the Holy Dodger Empire dismantled the once great Royal Cardinals, establishing a new power within the galaxy. The Holy Dodger Empire defeated the Royal Cardinals, invaded the Mill of Waukee, and vanquished the 107-win Giants. In the meantime, the Holy Dodger Empire pillaged both the Purple Rockies and the Backs of Diamond in Arizona. These invasions increased the Empire's wealth tenfold. Their resources are unmatched, their power is unquestioned. With the West and the Central firmly in control, the Holy Dodger Empire sets their sights on a new conquest, the Eastern Empire State. If the Holy Dodger Empire defeats Master Cohen and his Met army of queens, there will be nothing left to stop them from conquering the galaxy. To the south, a small resistance forms in San Diego, While outnumbered and outresourced, the Resistance fights for their very existence against the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. It's a changing time in the galaxy. The once great Imperial Nationals of Washington have fallen. Years earlier, the Imperial Nationals once defeated the Holy Dodger Empire at the Battle of Strasbourg. Now, they find themselves bankrupt and selling pieces to the highest bidder. In this collapse, The Holy Dodger Empire captured a great captain known as Mad Max, who helped strengthen the Holy Dodger Empire's hold on the galaxy. However, Mad Max has escaped and defected to Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. He will spend whatever years he has left fighting to dismantle the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. And now, the legendary Imperial Captain Juan Soto has joined the Resistance after paying his debt to Kara the Hutt. To San Diego, Captain Juan Soto brings with him the Imperial Nationals' mighty Josh Bell. Joining Captain Soto is Lord Hader, the supreme closer of the Mill of Waukee, called to fight by the message of the Resistance and the possibility of bringing balance to the Force. The Resistance has paid a heavy price yet they have never been closer to defeating the Holy Dodger Empire. Alright, so you know how, like, uh, what is it? I guess, like, 15 minutes ago of podcast time, I talked about how 
uh, one of the things that matters in baseball or people think will will draw attraction to baseball is getting the best hitter and the best pitcher up against each other in a matchup with stakes like in the playoffs well uh, and I talked about Manny Machado striking out not putting the ball in play well lo and behold we get that all over again because uh Jacob deGrom low-key pitched around Trent Grisham and drew a walk. Jacob deGrom doesn't walk very many people, but like low-key pitched around Trent Grisham and then jerks and Profar drove in the game-tying run for the Padres, which uh, I said this yesterday texting with my brother. AJ Preller, for those of you who don't know, he's the the ass who runs the Padres and he makes some good moves, he makes some bad moves, but he also doesn't treat his employees very well. Undying loyalty to Jerkson Profar, because when he was first coming up with Texas, that was his guy he scouted. He was a top prospect with the Rangers. That's how he made his career. Undying loyalty to Profar. Profar balling out in the playoffs. And then you got Juan Soto versus Jacob deGrom, and Juan Soto just got a base hit. The Padres have third and first with one out in the fifth inning, and Manny Machado is up to bat, and I'm guessing this is going to be the last segment because after that I got to go like be a crazy person about the Padres. Manny Machado swings and misses. This is my healthy perspective. For the first hour and a half, I'll record podcast content, and then for the next hour and a half, I will have perspective watch the game, hope they win, go to dinner afterwards, but it might also be in the eighth or ninth inning, and I'm willing to do that just for the sake of being sane. 0-2 to Manny Machado. Come on, Manny. Get it. Put a ball in play. Okay, ball one. Put the ball in play. Also, on the other side, uh, Bryce Harper hit a tank of a home run, and Philly might win that one. Uh, Texas A&M and Bama getting into fights on the sidelines and both teams are just throwing a shit ton of interceptions and now we have a 1-2 to Manny Machado Machado swings and misses again DeGrom has struck out Machado twice verifying the point that uh, pitching versus hitting is uh, exciting but baseball is also a game where you just gotta love the fact that Trent Grisham is getting pitched around to Jacob deGrom. Why does that make sense? I don't know, but he's hit a home run in the last 24 hours. The worst hitter on the Padres has hit a home run off of Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom within 24 hours. It's weird how that works. So I guess this brings up Josh Bell, the other deadline acquisition for the Padres. Lord Hater and the mighty Josh Bell trying to keep things going for the Padres. Captain Juan Soto has delivered a base hit, didn't score a run, but just kept it moving along. The The resistance, it's unfortunate the resistance has to fight the, the Met Army of Queens. I wish we could unite together in our common goal against the Holy Dodger Empire in our, our Star Wars slash, I guess, just like war-based analogy for baseball this year. Josh Bell swings and misses. 0-2. If we wake up tomorrow and uh, you're listening to this and Alabama beat Texas A&M, probably not going to happen. I mean, Texas A&M's like forced three turnovers and scored two touchdowns off of those and they're still losing at halftime. But if we wake up tomorrow and that happens, going to be weird that that happened two years in a row. 0-2 to Josh Bell. Need a base hit. Need a base hit. And he struck out. All right, it's 2-2. Two to two. We didn't get a resolution. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for stopping in here to Wired Up and the Take It Easy podcast. And those of you te- stopping in on YouTube, appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out with us. Uh, we'll be back with a full slate of podcasts coming up this week. Go Padres. You're going to hear me be obnoxious about that either Monday or Tuesday, depending on how this goes down over the next couple days. Take it easy, everybody. Episode 4. The Holy Dodger Empire continues their reign over the West. In previous years, the Holy Dodger Empire dismantled the once great Royal Cardinals, establishing a new power within the galaxy. The Holy Dodger Empire defeated the Royal Cardinals, invaded the Mill of Waukee, and vanquished the 107-win Giants. In the meantime, the Holy Dodger Empire pillaged both the Purple Rockies and the Backs of Diamond in Arizona. These invasions increased the Empire's wealth tenfold. Their resources are unmatched, their power is unquestioned. With the West and the Central firmly in control, the Holy Dodger Empire sets their sights on a new conquest, the Eastern Empire State. If the Holy Dodger Empire defeats Master Cohen and his Met army of queens, there will be nothing left to stop them from conquering the galaxy. To the south, a small resistance forms in San Diego. While outnumbered and outresourced, the resistance fights for their very existence against the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. It's a changing time in the galaxy. The once great Imperial Nationals of Washington have fallen. Years earlier, the Imperial Nationals once defeated the Holy Dodger Empire at the Battle of Strasbourg. Now, they find themselves bankrupt and selling pieces to the highest bidder. In this collapse, the Holy Dodger Empire captured a great captain known as Mad Max, who helped strengthen the Holy Dodger Empire's hold on the galaxy. However, Mad Max has escaped and defected to Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. He will spend whatever years he has left fighting to dismantle the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. And now, the legendary Imperial Captain Juan Soto has joined the Resistance after paying his debt to Kara the Hutt. To San Diego, Captain Juan Soto brings with him the Imperial Nationals' mighty Josh Bell. Joining Captain Soto is Lord Hader, the supreme closer of the Mill of Waukee, called to fight by the message of the Resistance and the possibility of bringing balance to the Force. The Resistance has paid a heavy price, yet they have never been closer to defeating the Holy Dodger Empire.